This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. E te hao te rau kumara e... In August 2020, the iwi of East Cape, te whanau a Apanui and Ngāti Parau signed a $35 million deal with the Crown to restore their treasured Ngāheri. The Rokumara Forest. For centuries, Rokumara has been their larder, their hardware, their pharmacy, a realm of Atua and the living embodiment of Te Ao Māori. But since the arrival of introduced predators and browsers, the life force of the Rokumara, its Māori, has been ebbing away. I'm Dave Hansford. I'm a New Zealand science and environment writer, and I've been covering conservation for 20 years. In that time, I've seen the fortunes of our native species wax and wane, but mostly wane, so that Aotearoa now has more threatened species than anywhere else on the planet. This is part three of Fight for the Wild, a series of podcasts looking at what Kiwis, ordinary and extraordinary are doing to turn that around. In this episode, Restoring the Māori, I'll be talking to those whose knowledge, experience, whose passion is crucial to that effort. Māori. These podcasts complement the film series Fight for the Wild, which you'll find on RNZ Freeview On Demand. Or you can find both on the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. Ko Hikurangi te maunga, ko Waipu te awa, ko Graham Atkins taku ingo. Kia ora everybody, my name is Graham Atkins. I'm a biodiversity ranger for the Department of Conservation and I have been for the last 25 years. Graham Atkins' memory practically begins here in the Rokumara as a five-year-old following his father through the forest as he trapped possums. Over the decades that followed, Atkins has seen those possums and deer and goats, rats and stoats literally devour this forest and everything in it. We're pretty much nearly in the geographical centre of um, the Rokumara range, so it's the same distance back to where I'm from on my side, Ngāti Parau side, and um, on the western side, of which is Tawhana Apanui. These poor trees, like here, they have had possums in them since the 60s and the 70s. One thing that strikes you about this forest is that it's far too bright. All this sunlight playing across the ground. By rights, it should never make it this far. 
It should be trapped by billions of leaves high in the canopy. This place looks like a city park, and that's not a good thing. So behind us, or all around us basically, um, we, should, we should struggle to see five metres, even, even less, because the forest would be so thick with, um, with a diverse understory. It shouldn't be looking like this. You know, we're a long way from anywhere, and here it should be looking like the Amazon rainforest. The possums that provided Graham's father with work are destroying the focus of his own. 20 years ago, he says, there were so many different plants growing here, it would take two rangers all day to record them over just a few hundred metres. Now, they're gone. All uh, the different understory species, like your kawakawas, your um, five fingers, the eight or so species of caprosma that used to be make up the understory, they all fruited and flowered at different times of the year. And, you know, all those species had their time in the sun when they provided food for the birds. And so when you lose a species, like tortara, for instance, there's gaps in the year for the birds. And so what are they supposed to do in that gap? I'm talking about our kereru, tui, bellbirds, kaka, kakariki. I can remember them. That's the tragedy of this, is that um, 20 years ago, yeah, this place used to drip with birds. The food's gone, and so no wonder the birds gone. And so those few birds that are managing to cling on out here, they get picked off by the rats and the stoats. So, With a sort of gallows humour, locals joke that nowadays they need an alarm clock. There's no dawn chorus. There hasn't been a dawn chorus going on five, nearly ten years now. And so it's, that, it's the removal of the understory that's created that situation. Now we get a thrill if we find a feather. The Rokumara Agreement, if its intent is on it, marks a turning point in the fortunes of this forest. If the document's spirit is on it, it stands for much, much more, because it comes at a time of great promise. In 2016, the then National Government announced Predator-Free 2050, a seemingly madcap plan to rid Aotearoa of rats, stoats and possums completely by mid-century. As you can imagine, that's going to take an awful lot of work and a lot of cooperation. Predator Free coincides with a number of treaty settlements that will see some large tracts of backcountry returned to mana whenua. Traditional owners who are anxious to take up once again their timeless role as environmental custodians, kaitiaki. As such, Rokumara might serve as both test case and template for iwi-led restoration projects around the country as part of the predator-free effort. Let's be clear, predator-free doesn't have a prayer without the engagement of Māori, nor the traditional knowledge and perspective they can bring to it. It stands then as a test of our ability to work together. Kia ora, uh, ko Ngāti Tūwhare Tōrau, ko Ngāti Raukau ki te tonga oku iwi, ko Jan Hania Toku Ingoa. My name is Jan Hania, I work as the uh, Environmental Director for the Next Foundation. Next Foundation is a philanthropic fund, and over 10 years it'll pump $100 million into education and environment projects, including Predator Free. Well, the Predator Free aspect, for that to be successful, 
if those values aren't intact, if mana whenua aren't recognised as leaders and, and governors in that space, we won't be able to achieve the overall outcome. It has to be done in true partnership. And we have to uh, see that both entities, the bicultural hemispheres, both need to be successful for these projects to be restored successfully. This is not something that we can squabble about who's who. We need to get together and work far more urgently with a common purpose to solving these issues. Bringing and bridging between worldviews to create the pathways for a far more greater impact, a far more um, powerful uh, transformation to restore nature with people in it is critical for all of us. It can't be done alone, uh, it can't be done separately, and it is absolutely a pathway for rebuilding a treaty partnership, and it should be something all New Zealanders should focus on. And I don't think that the whakapapa sort of um, worldview is unique to Māori. I speak to a number of my Pākehā friends and colleagues who feel just as connected to place and feel just as connected to the kaitiakitanga paradigm and wish to contribute in a similar form. We have an opportunity to teach each other and to share these worldviews for a better outcome. Five years in, predator-free is shaping up as something much bigger than nationwide pest eradication. It's an opportunity for Māori and Pākehā to collaborate in a spirit of genuine bicultural endeavour, almost like the treaty promised. But a few things will need to change first, says Rhonda Maxine Tibble. The answers don't lie in one hand. The answers lie in our ability to put aside our differences. Rhonda is of Ngāti Porau and Rokumara born and bred. She's an educator, a healer and a tikanga expert. We're not leaving, because the truth of the matter is this is our land. And if we don't see the agency of support that each other has to offer without the politics of domination, then we can't go forward. And sometimes our concepts of what partnership are consider that we as Māori, we as Ngāti Pro and Apanui might need to be lesser in that agency. And here's a typical example of where we don't wish to be lesser, we wish to be completely proactive in the space. So it is the opportunity to move from non-Māori operating systems of thought on how to resolve these problems into Māori systems of thought that have maintained our people for centuries. One of those systems of thought is Matauranga Māori, which you might think of as the collective knowledge of Māoridom. It's the sum of the observation, experiment and experience of everybody who has gone before, handed down the generations. It's not just a database, it's also a way of knowing that database. Here's Jan Hanier again. Matauranga comes at these problems with a more holistic approach to these problems that we're trying to solve. And it doesn't solve them in isolation from each other. We, it needs people who can see across the landscape who are listening and who are feeling and who are sensing what's going on, as well as your Western scientific data, blending those together for far more um, uh, useful and tact colourful, real interpretation of what's going on. 
Mataranga struggled, I guess, to get validation in our science system, which is really frustrating uh, for Māori researchers, given that science methodology is about observation, experiment and peer review, uh, and Mataranga is about observation, experiment and peer review and testing. So they operate on the same framework, they just do it slightly different ways. Melanie Mark Shadbolt is Director Māori of New Zealand's Biological Heritage National Science Challenge. I guess what I'd also like to see is that extended to Māori who sit outside our science and research sector. So yes, there are some amazing Māori with great degrees. Uh, there are some amazing Māori researchers and academics who certainly can offer um, advice and support to scientists, but equally on the ground, there are some amazing Māori kaitiaki and kaumatua and tohonga and rongua practitioners. All of those people have knowledge and, and probably have solutions that we need to tap into if we're really going to solve these wicked issues because that's what predator free is, it's a wicked issue. The earth to tile is our, our old umbrella, is, is all that we are and if we don't look after it, uh, it won't look after us. And so there are lots of aspects of the Māori value system, Mātauranga, Māori knowledge and approaches which I think we're very lucky that it's so intact here in New Zealand that we can actually, you know, exemplify um, behaving with these values at the core. And that then creates a, a stronger pathway for Māori to reconnect. One of the projects Jan Hania works on is Taranaki Maunga, a partnership between the Department of Conservation, Eight Taranaki Iwi and Next Foundation. The project aims to restore biodiversity across 34,000 hectares of national park, encompassing Taranaki, the Pōkai and Kaitaki ranges. But it has still bigger wins in sight. It's uh, very much integrated with the Māori worldview, Māori values. We have to bring iwi to the table first throughout the program, from the board table through to working on the ground. Because not only are we restoring uh, the ecology, we're looking to restore people and communities in that process. He Kawa Ora hails the project's banner, Back to Life. And it's not just talking about wildlife, because Te Ao Māori is a universe woven of bloodlines, whakapapa, between people and animals, plants, mountains, rivers, when Māori recount their whakapapa, they recall their lineage, their journey to the present and their place within it, says Melanie Mark Shadbolt. We are related to all of the natural world through our ancestry, which means we are a part of it. So in a science perspective, that's our taxonomic framework in itself. So how do things relate to each other? From a Māori perspective, that's whakapapa. And not translated as ancestry, as most people would if they looked it up in the dictionary. But it's much more than that. It is those innate connections that come through the creation story and what the order of creation and where things came from. So from a science perspective, that's really important in terms of understanding species and what species relate to each other. From a Māori perspective, that's about understanding which ancestry line they come from. So who does the Kodi tree relate to? Um, who does the Awa, the river, relate to? Who do I relate to? Am I related to Wales or am I related to the Ngāhiri? Where do my uh, alliances and allegiances lie based on my ancestry and my whakapapa? That spirituality of identity, of belonging not so much to nature as within it, is expressed as Wairua Tanga. I asked Jan Hania 
if biodiversity loss might therefore impact the very experience of being Māori. When I see a depleted forest, I feel really sad, uh, I feel uh, bereft, uh, I feel depressed actually, and, um, and I've seen a few. Uh, ko tēnā ngata tōku ingoa, heurio nō Ngāti Purau, nō reira ko Hikurangi te maunga, ko Waiapu Tawa, ko Ngāti Purau te iwi, ko te whānau, uh, karuai ki marae hara te hapū. Kia ora. Tina Nata is a Ngāti Purau social and environmental researcher and advocate. She put her shoulder to the effort to save the Rokumara because she can see it being eaten to death. You know, when you think about how we identify ourselves as Māori, we generally identify ourselves through land features. And so many of us will have a pepeha, like the one that I just delivered, around our mountains and our rivers and the people. And that's because we are shaped by the land that we um, that we live in and on, and it changes us when the land changes, and when the land becomes very sick, that means that for us we're also very ill. Melanie Mark Shadbolt explains the principle of that shared, sympathetic malaise. Everything has its own life force. Everything has an essence. Uh, everything has its own modi. Every piece of the environment is really important for connecting to Māori. So we recognise its modi, we honour, we treasure its modi, and when that is out of balance, then obviously our modi is out of balance as well. So environment and ma- being Māori are so intricately connected that we can't preserve one without the other, um, and we can't restore one without restoring the other. We are tangata whenua, people of the land. Uh, Without the whenua, we're just tangata. We're no different to anyone else. Definitely think that we're in a time-critical period, a race against time. Losing the huia, for example, was a big blow to Māori. Can we afford to lose the kiriru? Can we afford to lose kiwi? What, you know, what are we prepared to sacrifice? When species disappear, says Tina Nata, a part of people's identity is lost with them. In terms of what we're losing, these manu that are here, they feature in our language, our ways of being, our ways of how we relate to each other. We're very metaphorical and poetic people, so um, our customs and ceremonies draw from the actions and behaviours of, of these species. I'm a kōpara, I'm a bellbird, because I'm from Te Araroa, and so we call ourselves the bellbirds of Te Araroa. And so, you know, what does that mean when we don't have any bellbirds around anymore, but we're still calling ourselves that this once we're bellbirds, I guess. Rob Whitbourne of Te Whanau Apanui is a treaty implementation ranger at the Department of Conservation. He too is fighting for the Rokumara. I think there's a sort of growing realisation to the connection that that's been weakened or lost. You know, Papa Tuanuku is our mother. You know, okay, but what does that really mean? Do you know your mother? If you say, oh, these trees and birds are children of Tane, like us, are you? So what's their names? You're saying they're family. Do you know them the way you know your family? Do you know them the way you know your cousins, your uncles? And almost, you know, universally people say no. So this is us getting to know, you know, the the natural world, getting to know our family again, Um, and then, you know, treating our family, caring for our family, 
the way we should. We're actually changing um, ourselves as an iwi, our relationship to the, the Raukumara, um, and we're going to return to it um, and be part of it again. Ihirangi Heke is a health consultant and educational psychologist. And at Maharangi College, north of Auckland, he wants to rebuild that connection between nature and well-being in young people. Well, I'm one of the board members for Mahurangi College in uh, Walkworth here, and across the river um, we've been working with the Auckland Council to get uh, exclusive control of uh, a number of acres that we can use in the school to work on the well-being of our students through having them come into this space through the river, into the bush, and to have access to environmental learning. What we're trying to do is have our students engage in removing all of the pests, whether they're plant or animal, but while they're doing that, to understand all the different trees, insects, birds, and animals that exist in these places, and through that, we'll get incidental health and well-being because they're engaging in these places, and most of all, they're learning, they're picking up uh, knowledge about the environment. Ihirangi believes true well-being is to be found in that realm of Papatuanuku, Mother Earth. And if we don't understand our environments, our water, our mountains, our, our ngahere, our bush, we have no chance of pursuing health. It's a recognition of the amount of knowledge you have about how water works, how mountains and engage with you and how the forest and the ngahere environments have an opportunity to transfer information to you that will uh, result in incidental health. But probably the critical part is around the, the hua hua tau, which is the metaphor for learning. What's the environment trying to tell me and how can I apply that in other places? So the critical part about bringing kids in here is not necessarily to teach them just about the bush, but how the bush will teach them other things that they can use as life skills for the rest of their career, education, and relationship pursuits. So you learn everything from here. At Nkura, we're teaching our kids how to read insects, how to read birds, how to read trees, how to read fish, and how to read weather patterns for the day. Now what's happening at the moment is in places where those species or those effects have been decimated, they no longer have the capacity to be able to read what risk there is in going to those places and what that might mean for their collective health. So it means that some of those predators that are causing that lack of knowledge to be transferred, we have to deal with those before we can go into the next phase to teach mātaranga Māori. The broader proposition then is that predator-free 2050 in casting out the pests and restoring our native biodiversity might just help heal people too. If we were to look at biodiversity loss on a graph, I suspect that it would have parallels to things like um, mental health issues and increases in non-communicable diseases and, and other types of illnesses. I genuinely think that there is a connection. Nature provides us with some of our best memories, and yet we take that connection for granted, that connection we have to the earth. Deep down, I believe, in our DNA, we remember. We remember that connection to those lands and those places and those spaces and those animals, uh, to those sounds of the environment. And deep down, I think our soul calls for it. And if we can just restore that balance, then I think we will you know, cure a lot of our illnesses and our health issues. Predator-free is a whopping world first of an idea. It's an immense, almost preposterous task but in a sea of unknowns, one certainty stands out like a beacon. 
neither treaty partner can do it without the other. Somehow, we must put enough of our differences aside to make predator-free work without pretending that it will settle all the others. Collaboration isn't justice any more than reaching common goals brings redress. What it can do, though, and will if we keep these things foremost in our minds, is remind us about the values we share and how they're precious to us all. It could teach us how to listen, to understand, how to ask one another's advice and help, to lend strength to one another's arm. We'll need to be generous. Traditional knowledge is a taonga, not lightly given away. And something precious, if it's handed over, needs to be treated as such. Māori are clear about what they expect from Predator Free, that they will exercise rangatiratanga through the expression of kaitiakitanga and matauranga. They expect that Predator Free will deliver economic, social and educational gains for their people. They expect to see employment and training opportunities. The challenge will be to uphold good faith, even as, inevitably, some will try to turn Predator Free into fodder for the talkback shock jocks. We'll need clear, open minds held to a steady course. This is the opportunity to really show a bicultural relationship that protects and preserves our land and our environment and our way of living together. I think we would look back from 2051 and we would say, we did this together, we did this in true partnership. You know, the relationship that we are forging for me is so exciting because that would be for me the vision of what we could be doing across Aotearoa. This is, you know, Māori, mana whenua, working with tangata tiriti in a way that centres our ways of knowing and being and doing, but also utilises other tools um, as well. That to me is treaty justice. That to me is a vision for how we could work together as a nation. But I also firmly believe with everything that I know in my heart that um, this is a journey towards better well-being for our ngahere and our waterways and our people. Thanks for joining me. Next time on Fight for the Wild, we'll look at the cost of going predator-free. Can we afford not to do it? You've been listening to Episode 3 of a four-part podcast series written and presented by me, Dave Hansford. Fight for the Wild is a Fisheye Films production. Series producer is Peter Young. Editing and sound design by Bledon Parry. Audio post by Chris Sinclair. Executive producers for RNZ are Alison Balance and Tim Watkin. And RNZ commissioning is Kay Almers and Tim Burnell. Fight for the Wild is made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. With support from the Biological Heritage National Science Challenge, Next Foundation, Predator Free 2050 Limited, and the New Zealand Regional Council's Biodiversity Forum. Fight for the Wild is a film and podcast series. Watch it on RNZ Freeview On Demand, or find it on the podcast and series page at rnz. .co.nz Kakitiano
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 